The Case Against the West Memphis Three Killers, Chapter 1. For the highest spiritual working, one must accordingly choose that victim which contains the greatest and purest force. A male child of perfect innocence and high intelligence is the most satisfactory and suitable victim. Aleister Crowley Chapter 1 The beaten, bound, and mutilated bodies of three eight-year-olds, Christopher Byers, Michael Moore, and Stevie Branch, were pulled from a muddy ditch in a wooded area in West Memphis, Arkansas, on May 6, 1993. The boys had gone missing the day before. Weeks of investigation led to arrest of Damien Eccles, 18, Jason Baldwin, 16, and Jesse Miskelly Jr. on June 3rd, after Miskelly confessed that he and the two friends murdered the boys. All three were convicted. The convictions held up on appeal. Eventually, thanks to Hollywood celebrities and misleading documentaries, the killers walked free. They passed up the opportunity to present new evidence, taking instead guilty pleas that allowed them to claim they were innocent. No exonerating evidence, despite many years of investigation and a defense fund in the millions of dollars, was produced. They became known as the West Memphis Three. The standard West Memphis Three storyline is that inept police and prosecutors with a mob of religious fanatics to placate picked out three boys as scapegoats because Damien and his best friend Jason wore black t-shirts, listened to heavy metal music, and had funny haircuts. And because Jesse had a low IQ and was easily manipulated. Almost every element in that storyline has little relation to reality. There was nothing unusual about long-haired teens or black t-shirts in Crittenden County. Similarly, while heavy metal often was branded as Satanist because mus musical acts promoted a satanic image, interest in Metallica or Slayer was too common to draw the attention of police. The teens drew the attention of authorities because of growing evidence about Eccles' involvement in the crime. Focusing on mullet-headed rednecks, drawing overweight cops, and righteously angry Christians, media coverage played upon the most egregious stereotypes of Southern whites, while positioning a murdering sociopath as a hip kid who was too damn cool for the hometown idiots. The West Memphis Three myth fit the ubiquitous narrative of the perceptive young outsider that every hipster imagines himself to have been. The 1994 trials in Arkansas were like those Salem witch trials, only in that all were courtroom proceedings and witchcraft figured into the cases. The case bore little relation to the satanic panic of the previous decade. Witchcraft and a base form of evil were at work in West Memphis. Eccles and blood brother Baldwin formed a pathological dyad. Via the ritual torture of dogs, cats, and other animals, they cultivated ever more violent fantasies and educated themselves in occult murder. The allure of a thrill kill became irresistible when the killing time coincided with sunset, the rise of a full moon, and the pagan holiday of Beltane.
Chapter 2 The monster known as Damien Eccles was decades in the making. Eccles' mother Pamela, product of an affair by her father and subsequently adopted, began developing bizarre behavior in junior high. She dropped out of high school due to mental problems and received psychiatric treatment. At 15, she married Joe Hutchison. She suffered a difficult period pregnancy during the first year of marriage, losing 50 pounds while carrying Michael Wayne Hutchison. The future Damien Eccles was born December 11, 1974, at the old Crittenden Memorial Hospital in West Memphis. The fretful baby was a challenge. As he grew, Michael began such troubling behaviors as banging his head repetitively against floors or walls. His mother miscarried once, then became pregnant with Michelle. Dr. George W. Woods, a Berkeley, California psychiatrist hired by the defense team, later reported, Pamela Eccles was never able to live on her own or care for her children without a great deal of support. When his mother was unable to cope after Michelle's birth, Damien lived with his grandmother, Frances Gosa, in Senatobia, Mississippi. He was dropped off at daycare while his nanny worked as a cashier at a truck stop. Chaotic living arrangements continued until his arrest at age 18. Dr. Woods said, like Mr. Eccles' mother, his father, Joe Hutchison, also appears to have suffered from mental instability. Joe Hutchison is uniformly described as immature, self-absorbed, cruel, and capricious. He chronically neglected and abused his family. He berated his wife and son, set unrealistic expectations, called them degrading names, destroyed their most cherished possessions, terrorized them by threatening to break their bones and hurt them in other ways, and isolated them from community and family support by moving frequently. He found sadistic pleasure in donning horrifying rubber masks of hideous monsters, and appearing at his son's bedroom window, where he terrified Mr. Eccles by making gruesome noises. Eccles had vivid memories of staying up late watching horror movies with his father. He wrote, Horror movies were a family tradition in our house. The Hutchesons lived in a series of homes across six states, often sharing with other couples. Around 1979, they moved into the Mayfair Apartments, just across a large irrigation ditch from a wooded area known as Robin Hood Hills. Joe and Pam divorced. His mother married a roofer, Jack Eccles. She met at church. They attended Pentecostal services. Damien later claimed his problems began at age eight at the time of the divorce and remarriage. According to Dr. Woods, Mr. Eccles first recalls being overwhelmed by distressing and terrifying emotions in the second grade when he was positive there was going to be a nuclear war. He believed he had to get back to where something told him he came from before the war started. As he grew older, this obsession evolved into a driving force that consumed him and took up every bit of brain space and brain power. He became convinced that he was, quote, an alien from another world, not like any human on earth, unquote. Jack Eccles adopted the children. 
Michael had his name changed to Damien Eccles. Jack, Pamela, and the children moved to a shack outside Marion, Arkansas, in the middle of a field. Rent was $35 a month. The shack had no running water and was heated by wood. Damien was miserable due to allergies and intense headaches. He asked me to squeeze his head so that his pain would go away, Jack later explained. I would put my arms around his head like in a headlock and I squeezed it. He got relief for a few moments while I did this, but the headaches always came back. Damien went through these spells where he could not sleep no matter how hard he tried to. He stayed up for three or four nights in a row without sleeping at all. These periods were very hard for him, and by the end of the second day of no sleep, he was exhausted, fussy, and miserable. He cried a lot during these times. We never could figure out what he was so upset about. Damien was never really a happy boy. He got really sad sometimes, and no one, including Damien, had any idea what was wrong. He cried really hard, and I asked him what was making him so sad, and he told me that he did not know. Damien used to spend a few days in a row where he cried really hard during these periods. Damien sometimes started laughing uncontrollably. There were other times when Damien had so much energy he did not know what to do. He got really excited and kind of hyper, and he always walked at these times. Damien walked to some of the parks in the area, to some of his friend's house, and across town. Damien did not decide where he was supposed to walk to, but got a feeling about where he should be. But when he got where he was going, his feeling changed, and he had to go somewhere else. Sometimes Damien did not have any appetite, and he did not eat for several days. In his autobiographical life after death, Eccles described reading as a child a book by some demented adult that was titled something like The Children's Book of Devils and Fiends. He wrote, It was filled with tales and woodcuts of witches having orgies, standing in line to kiss the devil's arse, eating children, and cursing people so that they went into convulsions. Then there was the additional horror of people being tortured and burned at the stake simply because someone accused them of being witches. It explained how they were strangled, burned, cut, drowned, and dismembered in an effort to make them confess to flying on broomsticks to attend secret meetings. Eccles' imagination was gripped. It's not possible to overstate the impact all this had on my young mind. I would lie in bed at night, scared to move, while my imagination conjured up horrific images. Eccles replayed scenes in his head of weird sexual rites, cutting, drowning, and dismembering for years before May 5, 1993. It's not possible to overstate the impact all this had on his young mind. Eccles believed, I would burn in hell for all eternity because I couldn't stop myself from thinking bad things about people. He described his insatiable sex drive and how he compulsively masturbated. Eccles claimed he first read about brazenly hedonistic and sinful Aleister Crowley in the children's book. As Eccles told a Vice interviewer, I fell in love with magic when I first learned to read and realized that such a thing existed. 
At about the age of 12, I discovered the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, and my life changed forever. Eccles, who repeated the story to the Huffington Post, did not explain how he discovered the Golden Dawn as a desperately poor preteen in, in what he's described as a small, hardcore, fundamentalist town. The Golden Dawn, an initiatory order organized in England in the 1800s, included such luminaries as Arthur Macon, William Butler Yeats, and Evelyn Underhill. The London group did not survive the arrival of the fractious Aleister Crowley. Whatever influence Hermeticism had, it offered no relief. By the age of 12 or 13, I decided that life was hopeless, said Eccles. He failed every subject and repeated seventh grade. Eccles became suicidal. His mental state grew worse at age 16, exhibiting hysteria or manic behavior. His mania was interspersed with periods of waiting interminably for an abstract thing that might come in the blink of an eye, reported Dr. Woods. Mr. Eccles tried cutting himself to feel different somehow and to see if it would let some of the pain out. He felt worn out. Mr. Eccles reported that the intense shift between depression and mania literally drove me crazy. He remembered that everything hurt from the smell of water to green grass, brown grass. He was exquisitely sensitive to the way people smelled and the smell of water. He described manic episodes when his brain rolled like a TV that is not adjusted. Psychological tests in 1992 and 1994 indicated depression, mania, severe anxiety, delusions, and psychosis. Suggested diagnoses included schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. Dr. Woods said, Mr. Eccles heard voices that were not really voices, and he was not sure if it was a voice inside his head or somebody else's voice. He experienced visual hallucinations that were personifications of others. They were like smoke, changing shape, but present and constant. One was Morpheus Sandman, who was a hybrid of a human being and a god. Another example was Washington crossing the Delaware. Mr. Eccles saw Washington cross the Delaware with Hermes on the boat. Hermes was able to cross with Washington because Hermes was moving backwards through time. Mr. Eccles came to believe that he was the same as these personifications, made of the same material and from the same place. Mr. Eccles came to believe he was something that was almost a supreme being that came from a place other people didn't come from. This transformation caused him to change physically. He acquired an entirely different bone structure that was not human. He developed stronger senses. His eyesight was better and his ability to smell and taste changed. He had a different stance, stance moved his eyes, and held his head differently. He grew his nails so that they would be a perfect one and a half inches long. When he looked at his hands, he could see his bones. His weight dropped to 116 pounds. 
Eccles began dressing in all in black, often wearing a black trench coat, while walking obsessively around the neighboring towns of West Memphis and Marion, Arkansas. He began collecting animal skulls, dogs, cats, even rats, and wore a cat skull around his neck to school. Eccles' lifelong struggle with mental illness took several violent turns in the year leading up to his arrest. Chapter 3 Damien Eccles was first referred to family treatment from the Department of Human Services on May 5, 1992, a year to the day before the murders. The family was living in Lakeshore Trailer Park, a community of ramshackle mobile homes between Marion and West Memphis. The referral form, based on allegations from Sister Michelle, stated, Child reported her stepfather had been sexually abusing her for a long time. Her mother knows about it, but has done nothing to stop it. Sexual abuse reportedly occurred periodically from age 7 until present. The abuse included fondling. Charges were pending contingent on counseling at East Arkansas Regional Mental Health Center in West Memphis. Gloria Stevenson, the family service worker, reported, It appears that the Eccles family has extreme problems related to an ongoing history of sexual abuse, suspected emotions problems, and undefined interpersonal relationship disorders. Mr. Eccles admits to being overly affectionate with Michelle and to have been charged with indecently exposing himself to an older daughter. Mrs. Eccles states that she feels... Michelle is lying as she has been skipping school and sexually acting out. Damien Eccles holds his adopted father in low regard and feels the allegations are in fact true. Mrs. Eccles states Damien is in need of counseling and evaluation as he feels he is smarter than everyone else and will verbalize this fact. He also reportedly has little regard for others and stated he feels people have no true feeling for each other. Their main purpose is to use and bring harm to others around them. Mrs. Eccles reports that Damien has attempted to fight with her on occasion. Damien's mother later told caseworkers she was most concerned about son not learning to deal with anger and rages. Mother mentioned her belief that son may be responding to outside stimulation, voiced fear son may be crazy. Damien's love life also took a histrionic turn. By the age of 16, Mr. Eccles' depression and hopelessness was written all over his body, wrote Dr. Woods. He wore black clothes, hair and nails. His strange, often flat affect kept him out of step with mainstream life in a small Arkansas town. Yet he found one person, a young girl with problems of her own, whom he felt could understand him. They developed a relationship and became inseparable. Like Eccles, Deanna Holcomb had pale skin and black hair. Eccles recalled the 15-year-old, quote, wreath of sex and life after death, and at odds with other claims, he describes his relationship with Deanna as the gateway to witchcraft. Deanna was secretly a pagan, he wrote, before describing his ignorance of Wicca and subsequent study of magic. 
After a rocky relationship of several months, Eccles and Deanna broke up that spring at the insistence of her parents. Eccles' violent reaction brought charges of terroristic threatening. Eccles attacked Deanna's new boyfriend, attempting to claw his eyes out with long fingernails filed to points. Soon Eccles found a new girlfriend, red-haired, green-eyed Dominitier, but continued to pursue Deanna. Damien and Deanna decided to run away to California on the last day of school, but didn't get far. Damien's mother gave them $10-$15 toward expenses. Police found them in the cause of an abandoned mobile home in Lakeshore, partially nude from the waist down. Damien and Deanna were both charged initially with burglary and sexual misconduct and taken to the county jail. Juvenile Officer Jerry Driver was contacted. As he was being held in a police car, Eccles later told a psychiatrist, he saw Damien's father, Deanna's father. Damien states that he was able to work his fingers loose, moved over, and was able to slip the safety off of the police officer's gun, which had been left in the police vehicle. Damien freely admitted he had plans to shoot the girlfriend's father if he acted in a an aggressive manner toward the girl. Eccles was first sent to Craighead County Juvenile Detention Center in Jonesboro and then, after a suicide threat, to East Arkansas Regional Mental Health Center. The teens had formed a suicide pact. Damien threatened to hang himself with a sheet. His Millen Adolescent Personality, MAPI, M-A-P-I, test reported, the behavior of this youngster is characterized by impulsive hostility, an apprehensive distrust of others, and an edgy defensiveness toward criticism. Fearing that others will dominate and possibly brutalize him, he puts forward a socially blunt and aggressive public posture. He fantasizes being all-powerful so as to block others from possessing the means to be belittling and harmful. He believes that only alert vigilance and vigorous counteraction can prevent the malice of others. Closeness to others, displaying weakness, and a willingness to compromise are seen as fatal concessions. The desire to gain power and demean others springs from animosity and a wish to vindicate past grievances. This teenager believes that past degradations may be undone by provoking fear and intimidation in others. He often loses his temper, gets into fights, and acts in a daring fashion. He avoids displaying warmth, gentleness, and intimacy, defiance and disobedience are rationalized into virtues. Inadequacy and failure are intolerable to him, and blame is quickly projected outward. Disposed to be headstrong and able to inspire discomfort and anger in others, he may use his position in the family to bully young Sibs into submission. He is rarely able to submerge the memories of past humiliations, and this resentment may break through in impulsive and irrational anger. Cool and distant, this dem- youth demonstrates little or no compassion for others, viewing their difficulties as the product of their own weaknesses. He is likely to feel no compunction about ignoring their needs and sensitivities. This lack of empathy may lead this youngster to serve only himself, regardless of the consequences for those around him. Monk's statements about himself that Eccles designated as true 
It is easy for me to take advantage of people. Punishment never stopped me from doing whatever I wanted. I have a pretty hot temper. Diagnosis, adjustment disorder with disturbances of conduct. Dr. Woods wrote, Personnel at East Arkansas Regional Medical Health Center described Mr. Eccles as very disturbed. He was withdrawn, spoke little, and rarely had eye contact with anyone. He stared at the wall or cast his eyes downward. He appeared confused and dressed strangely, all in black. He was preoccupied with his fingernails, which he filed to points. Mental Health Center staff recommended that Mr. Eccles immediately be involuntarily committed to Charter Hospital in Little Rock for more extensive evaluation and treatment. Admission papers noted, he has a history of extreme physical aggression toward others. Criteria for emergency admission included, one, fire starting by behavior by history, two, potential danger to property, three, excessive irritability and anger that is potentially dangerous and persistent, four, involvement in bizarre and unusual behavior. A case filed from June 1st reported, Eccles, quote, admits to having seen suspended, having been suspended seven times this past semester for inciting fights at school, starting small fires, cussing. States in one fight he almost gouged out the victim's eyes. A report on June 2nd stated, information does suggest that Damien has set fire to his academic classroom on two occasions, that he has also been truant, engaged in physical confrontations while on school grounds, and has oftentimes threatened to put hexes on school instructors. Eccles admitted to being a practicing warlock while denying devil worship. He had a blood brother. Damien denied he had been abused and assertion strongly questioned. He saw fighting as release. Quote, sometimes I have to do this not because of feeling angry. Sometimes I'm confused. Investigators searched the Eccles home and confiscated a number of items, including a dog skull, a book of shadows detailing progress in Wicca, a notebook of morbid poetry, and artwork of demonic images. Jerry Driver came to believe that a drawing of four tombstones with a baby's foot and a rattle under a full moon indicated Eccles' plan to sacrifice his own child. Driver mentioned the sacrifice rumor on June 1st in a phone message to Charter Hospital. A psychiatric evaluation on June 2nd stated, There was conversation that concerned staff at the detention center. Reportedly, Damien and his girlfriend were going to have a baby and then sacrifice the child. De- Deanna later told police, quote, I found out that he planned to kill her firstborn if it was a girl. Damien would not do it. He is a coward and would have tried to get me to do it. That's when I knew he was nuts and I had nothing else to do with him. Damien also explained his name change. He denied that Damien was inspired by the diabolical child in The Omen, claiming that he took the name from a Catholic priest who worked with lepers. The name was shared by one of the main characters in The Exorcist. A character in that book explains 
It was the name of a priest who devoted his life to taking care of lepers on the island of Molokai. He finally caught the disease himself. Among the books confiscated from the Eccles' home was The Exorcist. Psychological testing by Louis F. Bracey, Ph.D., showed Damien was depressed. Uh, the report revealed, uh, revealed Eccles had a verbal IQ of 101, a thoroughly average score. Bracey's test found no evidence of psychosis, but the possibility of a thought disorder. The most prominent finding is that he has a rather strong depression process going on and has real difficulty making contact with people. The diagnosis? Depressive disorder and bipolar disorder. The assessment of art produced in psychological testing was Damien's drawings reflect rather impoverished, empty-appearing figures. They lack enrichment, color, or life, and emotion. They appear to be primarily depressive, helpless, and in poor contact with reality. He appears to be a very concretist person who is arrested in his imaginative function. He would be expected to see things in a rather simplistic, overly constrictive manner. Eccles was given preliminary diagnoses of schizophrenia, disorganized type, paranoia, and catalytic types also possible, and bipolar disorder manic. These persons spend much time in personal fantasy and daydreaming, often with themes of sex or power. Dr. Woods described Eccles' first trip to charter. The staff psychiatrist who conducted a mental status exam upon admission described the 17-year-old as cooperative and polite with an odd stare and flat affect. The psychiatrist had major concerns that this young man was exhibiting disturbed, bizarre, and unusual thinking. Mr. Eccles' delusional thinking was evident throughout his hospitalization. He explained that he had no feelings about suicide because he thought he could be reincarnated. He indicated to others he thought he possessed special powers. A social worker reported Mr. Eccles appeared to be sniffing the air around him as if he were responding to an external stimulus. He smiled inappropriately and cut his eyes on one direction or the other as if he were hearing or thinking of something before he spoke. The social worker concluded he was responding to an outside stimulation and may have been experiencing auditory hallucinations. Visual hallucinations also may have been present. Mr. Eccles said he thought the furniture in the psychiatric unit was causing blurred vision. Mr. Eccles exhibited a bizarre and unusual manner of adjustment to the psychiatric unit that was also reflected in his bizarre and unusual thinking pattern. He was preoccupied with witchcraft, but consistently denied any involvement with satanic worship. He was observed meditating in his room in a bizarre and unusual fashion, wrote some very unusual poems, and remained on the peripheral of the group throughout his hospitalization. He made unusual and bizarre sounds with his mouth that sounded like a cat purr. He had trouble making eye contact and was quite paranoid. He told staff there were surveillance cameras behind his mirror and under his desk and cautioned other adolescent patients that staff were constantly watching them.
The hospital staff observed him sitting and rocking methodically back and forth, daydreaming and staring into space. When interrupted, he appeared startled. He wanted to calm down and said he was feeling jittery internally. Mr. Eccles' behavior demonstrated a pervasively depressed mood throughout most of his hospitalization. He withdrew from family and friends, had a sad facial expression, and spent long intervals alone. He lost interest in eating, had difficulty going to sleep, and planned ways to commit suicide. He repeatedly thought about wrapping his sheet from his bed around his neck and trying to hang himself. On the home front, Jack Eccles was gone, and Pam Eccles reunited with Joe Hutchison after little or no contact over the past seven years. Eccles' parents removed him from the hospital June 25th. His discharge diagnosis was major depression, dysthymia, and psychotic disorder not otherwise specified. Driver learned the family was planning a move. The prosecuting attorney was in agreement with Damien leaving the state. He was not felt to be a danger to himself or others per the doctor. Eccles was referred again to Charter on July 24th for a screening. That intake report noted, dresses all in black, t-shirt, slacks, and shoes, wear small gold cross stud earring in left ear. Nails are cleaned and filed to points. He denied feeling angry or depressed, but appears depressed, voices apathy, blunt affect. Damien admitted to the suicide pact. It can go either way now. Question of satanic involvement and lingered. Extremely dysfunctional family, however. Woods described Damien's patterns of continued drug use. He finally found relief in his own form of medication. He instinctively turned to inhalants and began huffing gasoline. He thought he invented it. Later, he tried marijuana a few times before his arrest, but it did not become a habit. Able to, unable to outrun his terror, he withdrew from school in the ninth grade and tried to insulate himself from the external pressures that contributed to his mental illness. Moving to Oregon provided no relief. And that's the end of chapter three. And that's it for today. Uh, this is an excerpt from my book, uh, The Case Against the West Memphis Three Killers. I also have two other books, uh, Blood on Black and Where the Monsters Go. Those two books are a two-volume set uh, in roughly chronological order describing the case and really exhaustive detail, a more condensed, uh, arguably more readable, edited, revised version is the version I'm reading now called The Case Against the West Memphis Three Killers. All three books are available on Amazon, in Kindle format, and in print, uh, Kindle formats more uh, affordable. Also, have a Patreon page if anybody's interested in that. Uh, my intention is to resume doing this podcast, and I will, I'm going to go back through the uh, the case against the West Memphis Three Killers book uh, 
and I, I'm feeling not really happy with recording. I don't consider myself to really be a a, a born podcaster. Uh, I'm a, really a print person, but because nobody else is willing to do the work involved, I'm I'm doing it. So I, that's why I'm doing it. It's not because I feel I'm great at this. Uh, I may from time to time comment on other cases. I've actually got other work going on. What I'm reading now is work from several years ago that's already been published for several years. And uh, my intention is to publish something else in the future that won't be specifically about the West Memphis Three, but about uh, other matters that are somewhat related. Anyway, uh, uh, thank you for listening to this. Uh, Sorry about the long delay between podcasts, but I had some technical issues, and these seem to have been resolved. I'm going to find out today when I listen back to this if that's the case. Uh, I want to do a better quality podcast than what I've been doing in the past, Uh, but since I'm not making any money off of it, I'm reluctant to put out too much money. I'm reluctant to put too much money into it. It already cost me some money just simply to have a platform on which to put out a podcast. But I I think it's worthwhile. And uh, again, I apologize for the long delay between episodes. Thanks again.